I love vehicles. I, I enjoy them greatly. You see that you know the the vehicles over here change uh, every year or year and a half or two years. It's different vehicles over there. I just like vehicles. I, I like um, I got my kids a go kart and they drive it around and then someone blows the engine. They have to replace the engine. Timing belt goes. Replace that. We love all kinds. I like motorcycles. I had one of those. Someone ran me over. Don't have that anymore. I had a boat. My father blew it up. That doesn't exist anymore. All kinds of great stuff. I love vehicles. But vehicles tend to pale in comparison to people, right? Like, so, you know, you've got this history of all these things that you enjoy, and then, and then you have a child, and you're married, and you have a child, and you have another child, and the vehicles, eh, you know what? Who really cares? I had this beautiful red truck. You've seen it. I've had that for since 2008, probably my longest standing vehicle. Uh, I bought it so I could plow the, the parking lot, and it has worked wonderfully for these years. Um, right after I got it, it's beautiful. It's bright red, and it has beautiful, um, uh, well, I don't know what you call it. They, 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 put, they, they drew some stuff on it. It's pretty. Um, it's, it's beautiful. Shiny. And we were, we were building a tree fort over here and working on this for our kids. And one of my boys, won't say who, took a piece of pavement and was trying to throw it in the back of it. And it hit the tailgate, closed tailgate, and dragged down it. He did it several times. I finally, I, I finally saw what was going on. Oh, 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 stop. You know, you value that vehicle, but not as much as the person. The person's far more important than the vehicle. If it has scratches on it, it has scratches on it. Um, and then, you know, other life events take place. You know, the, the boat that I made reference to. Um, my father had to jump off of that boat when it exploded. Listen, I'll take him any day over a dumb boat. What difference does a boat make? Buy another one or don't float in it. Who cares? What's the difference? You got a, a man you love or an object? Well, just recently, I was driving a motorcycle I really liked. Really great. Someone ran me over. It's gone. Who cares? What difference does it make? You look at the accident, you say, boy, both my legs could be mangled or I could be dead. Hmm. Life? Life or object? Life. Life. And so we have this song, and the first stanza was, was good, and they're all, they all were. But my worth is not in what I own. So you can take all the vehicles, you can talk about houses, you can talk about all kinds of stuff. Not in the strength of flesh and bone. Listen, I don't know about you, I feel confident about myself and my ability to navigate through life. I've been doing it for 41 years. I don't have any problems. And then, and then you can't do it quite the same. And a little bit of your ability to control your circumstances is gone. And that's all right. You want to know why? Because that's not what's the most valuable items. We move on and we see what's really costly about the wounds of love, and it goes on and talks about it. And that, that really is, is where we're at in our study. We have two, two studies left in our study of the book of Galatians, this week and next. And where we come to in our study this week 
really is about what we value. What we value. Those who have been redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus Christ understand the incomparable worth of the gospel. Those who have been redeemed understand the incomparable worth of the gospel. Let's take a look, beginning in verse 11. Paul writes, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. As we look through the text, I I think the best way I found to navigate through it so that we cover everything and get its main emphasis is three emphases of religious ministry. Two of them will be good emphases and one not good emphasis. The first emphasis of ministry that this text brings to our attention is concern for the church. Concern for the church, concern for the people, concern for believers, concern for people that know Jesus as their Savior. And we notice that from verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. You may or may not be familiar with the fact that Paul had physical problems, one of which was some ailments regarding his eyes, so much so that the Corinthians thought he looked disgusting. I don't really know, you know, how can you know exactly if all the historical things that people say about this are correct? But apparently his eyes were oozing and nasty. And so he was hard to look at. So writing would be difficult for him. And as a general rule, Paul would have an amanuensis, that's a fancy term for a secretary. He would speak and they would copy it down. And so he comes here, as he did in a number of other letters, including 1 Corinthians and 2 Thessalonians, and he says, hey, I now am going to write the rest of this. And part of the reason he does that uh, is to authenticate the message. And so he's writing, and he's using large letters, and he's writing now with his own hand. So why large letters? Well, there are a couple of reasons why it could be, one of which uh, is bad eyesight. That could be a part of why the large letters. second reason for the potential for large letters is he might be emphasizing something, as we would with italicis or bold print. Sometimes people in their own writing will underline things or write in capital letters. Um, much the same way the, the Greek writers could use capital letters called unseals to, to make emphasis. And so maybe he was emphasizing this portion of the letter 
And the question, why is he writing with his own hand? Well, first of all, to authenticate that this was genuinely a Pauline epistle. There were false apostles, false writers out there trying to, to gain credibility, and they would use Paul's name and say that this came from him. And so one of the ways to authenticate that it was not uh, that it was Paul's writing is they could see his own handwriting. You know your handwriting is different than your husband's or your, yours than your wife's or yours than your children's. We all have unique handwriting. And so Paul's letters would be authenticated that way. But also, one of the reasons he may have written with large letters and with his own hand is he may have been, and he really is, giving a recapitulation, recap, of everything he's talked about. So he comes to the end of the letter, all the things he said to this point, and now, before he closes, he says, this is the main emphasis that I want you to leave with. When I say, write the last word, which is amen, when I write that last word, I want you to leave with this understanding. And so Paul is taking tremendous care uh, to ensure that the church understands his message. And that, that demonstrates a concern for people, doesn't it? I think he has demonstrated that. I think we can notice that from the text. There's a second concern uh, that this, this text emphasizes. Uh, concern now not for the church, but concern for self. Concern for self. Look at verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Uh, let's ask this question. Does that seem like good motivation? What does he mean when he says a good showing in the flesh? He wants people to think well of him. These false teachers want people to think well of them. And so it's a good showing in the flesh is one way that we notice their concern for self. Now, this is not unique to this group of false teachers. You know, hold your hand here. We're going to come right back. But look over at 1 Timothy chapter 1 for a moment. It's interesting. We see this emphasis on false teaching all through our New Testament and that false teaching has been around since that time and has continued to this day. There are many false teachers that are around today and I think the statements here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 really is it's really a good synopsis of how we should view these that are teaching a variant view of God, of religion, of God's word, of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. Paul has told Timothy to stay in Ephesus to help the church to be established properly. And it says in verse 5, the aim of our charge for you to remain is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In other words, I want the people there at Ephesus to be rightly understanding the truth. I want, I love them and I love you. And so my commandment for you to stay behind and, and to minister to them and to teach truth and to warn against variant doctrines is so that there would be pure hearts, good conscience, and sincere faith. Why is that so important? Verse 6. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying 
or the things about which they make confident assertions. So Paul pulls no punches and he, he just says this. The people that are there among you trying to teach about the law don't know the law and they don't know what they're even saying. They're a complete disaster. They weren't there for the purification of the church. They were there for some other agenda. And that's exactly what's going on here in Galatians 6. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 18, God's word says this, For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They're taking advantage. They're, they're speaking with confidence, even though what they speak, they don't know the end of. In Philippians chapter 3, there's a contrast that goes on. He's talking about following after his example and the example of those that are following hard after Christ. That's the context. And he talks about some opponents that are, that are speaking another doctrine. And he says this in verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly or their appetites. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But, contrast to that, our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. And from it, heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so Paul has, uh, has come up against false teachers time and again in the epistles. And, and he's not simply belittling them. He's warning the church of grievous error. There is more error in broad-termed Christianity than there is truth. You and I ought to really be very, very careful at what we subject our ears to. Because most of the things you'll hear will be variants of the gospel. I know that you're not equation people, okay? But this is an easy equation. Truth plus error equals error. All right, let, let's just bring it even a step down. Good food plus poison equals what? Yeah, poison. You'd never do it. And yet we unfilteredly listen to Christian radio and whatever might come up on YouTube or whatever else. And Paul is not having that. He's not having that. Those that want you to be circumcised. Now that's, that's one item of their proposal. What is circumcision? Well, let's not talk about it, okay? Because it's just not pleasant to talk about foreskin, okay? We don't want to go there. It's a ceremony to indicate one's obedience to a law code. So when we talk about circumcision, while it is talking about that fleshly element, it's an entryway into living in accordance with the law. 
And all through this letter, Paul has been telling us and, and the first readers that the law can't do what, the, what, what people are claiming it can do. The law cannot save you and it cannot sanctify you. These teachers, they're not looking to make you better. They're looking to make a good showing in their flesh by having you circumcised. Not only are they concerned about their own standing in society among the religious elite, they are also trying to protect themselves. To say it with less civility, they're protecting their backsides. Look what it says at the end of verse 12. We'll start at the beginning of verse 12, but the end is our emphasis here. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only, only in order that they, not you, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Paul has already told us in Galatians 5.11 that if we would add circumcision, if he would add circumcision to his message, the offense of the cross would be removed. One little addition removes the offense of the cross. Because now it's not about everything that God has done and nothing you can do. Now it's something good God did and you adding something to it. I want to feel good about myself. I want to contribute in some way. And God says, your righteousness is filthy rags. You don't have anything to bring to the table. One early writer, I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head. You're going to remember when I say it. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation is our sin and rebellion. That's it. We bring our sin and rebellion to the table and God saves us. That is glorious and that is rejected by men. No, 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 no. No, I chose him first. Were you there? Were you there when he laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you, Job? Remember that one? Where were you? You weren't there. And the Bible says you've been chosen from before, before the foundation of the earth. What are you going to do? I'm going to add something before I was even here. No. You're out of the loop, pal. you got nothing to bring to the table but your sin and rebellion. But God brings to the table what we need. Why? That he may be as he is. All in all. It's all about him. That's why we come, folks. We don't come here because we have something great to offer. We come here because God is great. And by his grace, he uses people like us to minister to bring glory to his name. These false teachers had more motivating them than a simple set of principles that they believed in. Listen carefully. They counted the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ and found it too steep of a price. It's in black and white, folks. It's the end of verse 12. If we didn't have the end of verse 12, we think they're motivated. 
because they think it's right. No, they don't think it's right. They think that they can cover their backside if they, instead of preaching Christ only, will preach Christ plus. Only, it says, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They counted the cost, and it was too steep. Okay, now, let's, let's bring it to earth. Because we don't live in the first century. We live in the 21st century. We all care to some degree about our reputation. Varying degrees, but we all care. Today there is considerable pressure, considerable pressure, about adopting a tolerant way of all things. Biblical Christianity is, is thrown into one large lump, well maybe one small lump, but a lump nonetheless, where there's the fanatical sects over there that are picketing, saying God hates blank, blank, blank. And they say, that's what we do. And I'm going to say, I've never held a picket sign in my life, and I don't plan to. I don't think I'll ever hold one up. I know I'll never hold one up that says God hates. That's not going to get the job done. One that says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can see myself holding that one up. So the the whole lot of those that believe in the Bible get thrown into that fanatical group that does things that are abhorrent to what we see in the scriptures. Social media, that's Twitter, Facebook, Snap This, My Face, whatever you want to call it, has made a huge impact upon a certain element of professing Christianity. And so many have catered to the pressures of this culture. The voices that we hear, the voices that we hear through text, through the news, through audio messages, whatever the case may be, the voices we hear say, listen carefully, God's standards, God's designs, God's way, and God himself are intolerant and intolerable and many I've seen it I've seen it I've seen people that that used to convey the truth of scripture in their posts crumble under the pressure of those that would fight them tooth and nail on the things that they would say because what you preach is intolerant. Listen, when Jesus walked the earth, the truth was the same as it is now. And Jesus said, ready? This is a, very, this is a common scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Has that changed in 2,000 years? It has not. The pressure from our world would have that change. You're telling me, you're telling me that these sincere people 
Of course, they're sinless people now in this conversation. These sincere people are going to go to hell if they don't believe in that one guy that I don't even believe existed. Well, you've posed that question trying to put me in a straitjacket. First of all, that guy you're saying didn't exist, did exist. And that guy that you're saying didn't exist, that did exist, created the world. And that guy that you're saying that didn't exist, that did exist, gave up the free exercise of his deity, his divine attributes, when he walked the face of the earth, humbling himself as a baby, obeying the laws of God and the laws of man, humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why? To bear the sins of many? That one? Yes. Yes, I'm saying, through that one God-man that laid down his life, that is the only way to get to heaven. Because that is what the Bible says. You don't have to agree. But you're not going to get me to disagree. I don't have to have everyone agree with me. I can respectfully disagree with your opinion. Your opinion, according to what I believe, is damnable. You will spend eternity in the lake of fire. I didn't send you there. You're sending yourself there. Because Jesus, his death was sufficient for all the sins of the world, but only efficient for those who trust him. You can call it narrow. You can call it intolerant. I call it truth. If that's what you believed, you'd call it truth. You wouldn't call it intolerant, but yet many professing Christians use that term with trepidation have catered to the world's philosophy because it's easier to acquiesce to the world's philosophy than to hold the measures recorded in God's word. These false teachers are doing the same thing that people today are doing. They're covering their backside. <coughs> Folks, you really want to cover your backside to the world rather than be rightly related to the one who formed you? It's not worth it. The cost is steep. The cost is worth it. Count the cost. Take up your cross daily and follow him. That's another way that they demonstrate their selfishness. There's a third way that we see their selfishness displayed, and it's because they're showing, uh, they're, they're seeking to show a measure of their success. What is their motivation? Uh, look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised, listen carefully, do not themselves keep the law. Hey, salvation and sanctification comes by the law, but I don't do it. Ruh-roh, <laughs> we've got a problem. Well, so, okay, so they don't keep the law that they say saves and sanctifies. So what do they do instead? 
but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Well, they're not with you 24 hours a day and don't see all your sinfulness. They just have a little notch for their crown, this theoretical crown. Keeping the standard of the law is a rough place to hang your hat. Did you hear what I said? Keeping the standard of the law is a rough place to hang your hat. Oh yeah, I'm going to keep the law. You'll find yourself today fail. And so you'll find yourself miserable and you'll say, all right, I better find somewhere else to hang my hat. So rather than using their own ability as a means of uh, keeping a record, they're more interested in the number of converts that they can convince to be circumcised and keep the law. Success is often a numbers game, isn't it? I've I've been exposed to it in my undergraduate years where I, I had to do these practicums in the summer and I had to read this book. I think the man's probably dead with, and with the Lord, so yeah, I hope I don't denigrate him too badly. But he wrote this big, fat book that I had to read. His name was Hugh Pyle. I had a different name for it. <laughs> Listen, I was like 19, all right? <laughs> I would still have that name today at 41. Nonetheless, um, huge pile. <clears throat> he had techniques about how you can get more in the offering. Ready? When you have the offering basket go by, have everyone stand up. They have easier access to their pockets. I'm not kidding. Don't have them hold a hymnal, sing a familiar chorus, so they don't have something in their hands, so they can more easily get to their pocket. Make sure it's a happy song. That's one little sample of huge pile. Can you see why I called it that? I had to fill out reports about how many people I witnessed to, how many people I visited, how many people were saved. Numbers, 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 numbers. So that's in my undergrad. And then I get into the Navy. And everything in the military is about numbers. You have to prove your worth. Why is it that we have have you as an officer in the Navy? Well, prove to me that you're worth our time. And so every report that I write in has to say, well, I counseled so many blah, 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 and I did so many, and there were so many people in my worship service, and there's so many, you know, it's all these numbers, 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 because numbers, numbers are what, what rules the day today for success. How many baptisms have you had? How many converts? How many in Sunday school? How many buses are you running? So because they could not boast in their strict adherence to the standards that they held so dear. They would boast in the number of people they convinced to be circumcised. It served as a measuring stick to their perceived success. It's still going on. It's still going on. Success is not dictated by how many fannies you can get in the seat. What is it about, ladies and gentlemen? Lifting up the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Lifting up the glory of God and who he is, what he has, is, and will do. Nothing to boast of. Nothing to boast of. Stature, money, degrees, what difference does any of it make? It's about Christ. 
You could be the smartest person, you could be the richest person, you could be the handsomest person, you could be the strongest person, and it's not going to get you to heaven. Only Christ does that. And so verse 14 makes a lot of sense. The third, the third emphasis of ministry, of ministry ways, is concern for the gospel. Look what it says in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to make this quick because it's time for the Lord's Supper service. I will not boast in my flesh. I will not boast in your flesh. I will not boast in my converts. I will not boast in my successes. This is what Paul's saying. I will only boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ represent? Ready? Here it is. Our sin. That's why he was there. He didn't sin. I sinned. He's on the cross. The cross represents my sin. Secondly, it represents God's justice. Every sin must be dealt with. Listen carefully. There are two ways that your sins can be dealt with. You ready? Listen carefully. You can pay for it forever in the lake of fire. Or Jesus can pay for it. Not both. That's the end of that discussion. Jesus doesn't pay and you pay. Either you pay or he pays. His death was sufficient for all. But it's efficient for those who believe. When you come to Christ, when you trust Christ, when you repent of your sin and turn to God in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your sins are removed forever. They've been placed upon Christ. He's paid for it. Jesus on the cross is a, a clear sign of God's justice. Thirdly, Jesus' willing sacrifice. Remember he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Jesus did this. He did this for me. Fourthly, God's mercy. It is through the work, the finished work of the cross that our sin is permanently removed. You can also call that remission, removed forever. The cross points us to God's mercy. Fifthly, the cross points us to God's grace. It is through the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross that makes Jesus' righteousness an available grace gift to those who believe. The cross stands for God's righteousness. And finally, to maybe summarize all of them, the cross speaks of redemption. To be bought by God himself. This concept eliminates boasting in oneself and necessitates boasting in our redeeming God. Which is why in verse 15 he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. You're not better one way or the other. Here's what counts, ready? A new creation. A new creation, that's what counts. How do we become a new creation? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. 
a new creation is by being in Christ. How, are we, how do we come to the place of being in Christ? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you trust, instead of yourself and your way, when you trust Jesus as a sufficient payment for your sin and as a sufficient accounting of your righteousness, God removes your sin, makes you righteous. He has redeemed you. He's paid the price to make you a new creation. 